But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> All right, we found an airplane that David will not fly. And I don't blame him. All right, this well, is. Did, did we establish that? I, well, I'm, I, I'm speculating here, but David, you would not fly this airplane. You know what I'm talking uh, about, David? Oh man, I do. I look at this and I go, "Okay, this is nuts. This is just, just really, really nuts." This is first, North first, first, first thing is, I know what the air feels like going at the speed he's going right now. I can't even imagine that you're going to be able to do this without falling uh, off of it. It, it, if he's, if he's not doing a hundred. You know, there. Then I don't see how both those aircraft are staying in the air. We're looking at a uh, story that's on the AOPA.org website. It's called "Sky Surfing Behind Your Favorite Airplane." So this guy who is someplace I don't know where he's located. Let's see. Does it say here someplace? Huntsville, Alabama. Thank you. Um, has made a, a, a scale model prototype of what he calls a sky surf. Uh, what's it called? It a uh, it's basically a sky surfboard. Uh, not a sky surfboard so much as a, but he tow, you tow it behind an airplane. All right, and you stand on this wing um, and uh, and and hold a, a, a tow rope as if you're water skiing, uh, and uh, and the tow rope is also attached to the wing, leading edge of the wing, and you get towed behind an airplane, and you kind of surfboard-ish kind of thing behind the airplane, and and he's built a flying prototype that doesn't actually carry a human, any any living creature, thankfully, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because although the fact that it will fly in this sort of static mode does say something about this foolish device, all right? But, uh, but not much. Not, not much, much, really. No, no. Uh, I'm looking at the center of gravity issues in play here and wondering, you know, if, if that's a slip bridle in there uh, on the line that connects the pilot's hand grip to the line that goes to the nose. <laughs> of the, uh, I'm it, sorry. The commentary at the bottom is what. What does it say? The comments do. do Oh, the comments underneath. Yeah, I can only imagine what the comments must say. So this guy's standing. He's wearing. He's you know. He's all geared up. He's got a parachute and a crash helmet and uh, and whatnot. And he's standing on the center of this this wing, um, being towed behind the airplane. And uh, I don't know. You know, I can almost imagine that this could work once you're at cruise. Um, and you've got plenty of altitude in case you do fall off the foolish thing. All right. Well, there there appear to be wheels on it. And, yeah. you know, I don't see it as inconceivable. If the bloody thing can fly with somebody standing that high over it using what at best is going to be a, a, uh, a, 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 a interesting version of weight shift. Yeah, but the problem I have with it is so that once you're like, you know, at cruise at like, what, 5,000 feet or 10,000 feet or something like that, then then that's fine because you've got plenty of options if something goes wrong um, and you just kind of kick loose of this thing and pop the chute. If anything goes wrong from anywhere from one foot off the ground to, to you know, I don't know how how much height you need for to pop the chute, but a thousand or two thousand or three thousand feet. There's not a lot of options here. All right, if you lose your balance or whatever, um, there aren't many outs. And, and I don't like this. This is scary. This is just scary to even think about it. Um, although, I, uh, although I, I, the I'm static to, model, I'm, I'm willing to watch it. I'm, I'm willing to watch it done by you know the guy that invents it and find somebody no. willing to test fly it for uh-huh. him. I, I, I won't. I'm not uh, watch that scare the crap out I, of me. I'm, you know, I'm not sure I want to watch no, that live. Let's put it that No, way. this is right up there with wing walking. I don't want to watch that. Well, years ago, a, a close friend of mine, we're friends yet today, he lived. 
uh, through the incident, uh, invited a bunch of us hang glider pilots in the Louisville, Kentucky, southern Indiana area out to watch him imitate something that he'd seen at a place called Oshkosh done by a guy named John Moody. Yeah. And that was the foot launch an easy riser. Well, John's wasn't exactly an easy riser, but it was real close to the same thing. Uh, my buddy had an easy riser uh, that he'd gotten not to run off our cliff launching sites because nobody considered them quite high enough or clear enough to, to, to get an easy riser off a foot launch, but to put a little Mac 101 uh, very large chainsaw engine uh, on a frame on the back. And then using footsteps, running into the wind, and then weight shift, and up into the sling, and you get settled and trimmed, and rotate these little sleeves to turn the tip rudders, and climb off into into history. Yeah. And, and his weight pitch uh, reactions were radical enough that he pitched up about sixty degrees, climbed to about three hundred feet, then pitched down about. 50 degrees and then pitched up about 180 degrees and then just completely looped it over, tucked and landed upside down. Ouch. Yeah. And walked away. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm glad to hear that. But uh, I look at that and and think about the pitch sensitivity of the riser, which was a bi-wing with a fair amount of dihedral and most of the pitch motion uh, controlling it. Or the uh, the weight motion controlling its pitch was below the CG, where presumably it would be possible to be less sensitive than standing on top of it like a real surfboard. Right, and that's the thing. That's the big difference. I mean, is that a fixed most almost all fixed wing aircraft are positive? What's the term for it? Positively stable. All right, is is that they they want to return to their stable you know configuration? Dynamically stable. Dynamically stable. All right. Um, the surfboardy thing is much more akin to trying to balance on top of a big beach ball. All right, um, and uh, I don't. Think, I don't disagree I, with that. I, I, I'm not sure that's. I didn't look at the video, but it's it's two and a quarter minutes long. If there's that much video of it, the thing has to be some some kind of has to have some kind of built-in stability. Um, well, for all we know, we only they edited out all the parts where it was upside down. That know? may well be. That it may well be. I don't know. Tell me behind the, that. But they got they got it to it do something for. Yeah. for it's the seconds. beauty of television. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it, anyway. it, it, the design intrigues me because if the the rendering here and the rendering of the wingboard is uh, accurate to what they plan, uh, it looks like it's got some form of ailerons uh-huh. uh, there. Uh-huh. It, it may work in pitch some for it as well. Uh, feet are strapped to the board. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure whether you lean forward and back or you pull forward and back. But it doesn't look like there's a lot of room for your feet to move from where they are. So, what, what this uh, really what this really needs is a couple of chainsaw engines mounted to the to the <laughs> leading right. edges. Okay, <laughs> just put need... one right on his butt. So, no, so no, adding no, a couple of rapidly spinning sharp blades would make this safer, right? You know, well, duct them if you have to, but have them. You know, just 
they don't have to be that big in diameter blowing over the ailerons or what what passes for ailerons here and it sh- that should get it you know up off the ground on its own all right so, so you're if, saying if, you, if you really if you really want to play this game <laughs> that would be one way to right. do it so jeb you're saying under certain circumstances you would fly this I'm not saying that at all. all right. Amy, Amy, would you fly this? Is there any circumstance under which you would try to fly this thing? No. No, okay. <laughs> I, me neither. But, David, it sounds like you're saying your, your rule applies. If you saw somebody else fly it first, you'd give it a try. That's my standard, you know, uh, everything starts from I need to see it work on something else. Okay. Now, they've got it working, towing it behind a model airplane. They've got a scale model towing. Uh, an RC airplane towing a scale model of this thing. Is that what that was? Was it an RC model? I, I, I looked like a real cub to me, but okay. All right. So, all right. But anyway, answer the question, David. If you saw somebody else fly it successfully, you'd fly this. Yeah, but I didn't see anything about how it took off or, you know, how it, how it climbs. In this case, it looks like uh, they've got everything on there. And when the uh, little RC airplane did a barrel roll, uh, closer to a snap roll, the little wingboard guy in the back did one too. So uh, it's got wheels. Uh, it looks like they take off from the wheels rather than you trying to climb out on something like the jet. You know, the jetpack guy does. Is the non answer answer, David? Would you? you, you yes, yeah, yeah, conceivably, sure. Okay. Well, because right. I was going to say, it's that's an amazing hedge. Yeah, I know. Uh, he did good. He had he, you just really, really missed out, David, by not a career in politics. I have to tell you right now. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Uh, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from uh, cold, wet, and rainy Papa Papa, New Hampshire. Here, where uh, it actually snowed a little bit overnight here this morning, and uh, but by the time I, I woke up, it was uh, it was raining, and it was just slush on my back deck, and it's all gone right now. But it's been like a 35 degree rain, 30. Yeah. Seven. You know, it's it's hard to say something's too weird when your whole you, you, your whole exposure to this stuff started out with little foot launch hang gliders and then to trikes and then after trikes, foot launched hang gliders with a motor strapped to the keel. You're still uh, hedging. He's still hedging. He's still hedging. No, I'm saying there, <sighs> there's not a lot that I, I haven't seen that I wouldn't be willing to try that Apparently. I haven't tried already. Apparently. Jumping out of an airplane, done that. Uh, I'm here in our virtual hangar this afternoon talking to my uh, three of my good friends this afternoon. Not wild about helicopters. One of them is that is Dave, who's just hedging away. Hedging, hedging Dave. Hi, David. How are you doing? Uh, only hedging a little bit. <laughs> yeah, okay. What's going on out there? Is it cold? Is it wet? Is it snowing yet in, in Can- oh, Wichita, no, man, Kansas? Oh, no, man. We got over three inches. Uh, I, I guess it was uh, Saturday morning. Snow? Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, pretty good snow. It's the polar vortex. It uh, is. I don't know about that, but uh, it, it was real powdery and real cold. This past and week, I was. Is. This past week, I was out at work. I was in Columbus, Ohio, uh, and uh, and the day I arrived in Columbus, Ohio, which was like Tuesday, it was sixty-eight degrees. It was beautiful. All right, and then two mornings later, it never got above thir- uh, like twenty-seven. All right, all day long, it was just a nut nuts weather. All right, and this is this this Columbus. Uh, Ohio, of which you speak. In what country is that? Yeah, I know, really, huh? And that's another one of my good friends out here, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. 
How are we doing? We're doing good. How are you doing? I'm I'm spiffy. 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 Yeah. Uh, not snowing there, of course. Not snowing here, but it is raining. As I speak, we are under a tornado watch. Ooh, exciting. So if you hear this great rushing of sound and nothing else from me, you'll know what happened. Yeah, if it's, uh, as our friend Dave Showbetter ta- taught me, if it sounds like a train, that's, a, that's the sound of a tornado. It's a famous video that I was in. I cursed on YouTube. Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, okay, well, that's cool. What else is yeah. going on with you? Uh, you uh, um, I'm busy working. Um, two, count them, two alligators. Two. I have two alligators. Yeah. Proof positive now. I know, huh? Uh, yeah, you sent us pictures the other day. I sent, I sent pictures. Um, I call one of them uh, Junior, and I call the other one a little bit. Because they're, they're little alligators. They're, they're relatively yeah. small they're, alligators. They're, both of them are yeah. no longer than two feet which makes them like two years old. Now. And I still say, if there's the two little ones there, where's mom and dad? That's what well, I, you think I, these are already up and out on their own? We're, uh, we're going to, I, I, yeah, I kind of think that I've, my backyard has become an adoption agency for the alligator, uh, um, <laughs> population in this area. It's like, all right, Sonny, it's foster, time to go. Yeah. Uncle Jeb's uh, alligator foster home. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And we're also uh, a very special treat is uh, our good pal uh, Amy Laboda is with us uh, this this week in our virtual hangar talking to us from really down in the south, down in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, Although it is good to know that there's a tornado watch. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Because if there's one for him, there's probably one for me by now. I, it, 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 <laughs> Maybe by now, but what I heard earlier specifically said 30 miles southwest of Sarasota was the limit. The limit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. That, that's, yeah. That but would that was, be not quite me yet. That was a couple of hours ago minimum. Yeah. So, Amy, how are you doing? We haven't talked to you in a while here in the virtual ah, hangar. And, uh, did um, not bad, considering all. How many foreign uh, countries have you been to since Oshkosh? I swear it was just two guys. Come on, <laughs> just two. Slow. How many countries? How many countries did you have to go over to get to these countries? Actually, none. Amazingly, where have you been? Because because I went to Newark, and from Newark, I took a seven fifty seven to Lisbon. Yes, yes, Ooh, Lisbon. Ooh, yes, yeah, United okay. flies a seven fifty seven direct over the pond in both directions. By the way, it wasn't as uncomfortable as you'd think. A three hundred or two hundred. Yeah, go ahead. Was it, was it uh, it's an ER, so it was probably a three hundred. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, they they actually do. Only has two engines, though, right? Yeah. Two engines, one aisle. So it's it's one of those. What are they? What's the word for it? CISPA, ESPA, OSPA, ETOPS, ETOPS. ETOPS. Thank you, darling. ETOPS. You were very close. No, I wasn't close at all. I knew it was an acronym. That's all. Cyclops. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The Azores were out there somewhere. Come on, guys. I'm sure it was legal. That's what you know. United was doing it. Azores are what makes it work. ETOPS. ETOPS is what extended time over something that starts with a P. Who's going to be the first to come up with the ETOPS joke tonight? <laughs> well, apparently not me because I just tried and everybody just went right by it. What does ETOP stand for? Come on. That's a good question. I, All right, Jeb. Extended right. twin engine operation. Uh, there you go. Thank you. Bing, bing, bing. David wins. What does it really stand for? A swell prize. No, 
<laughs> it it stands for if you if you puke one, you should be able to get to a landing site right. with the other one. Right. That's what it stands for. And as I recall, this was this became a thing with the arrival of the triple seven, right? Because they wanted to be able to fly the triple sevens. It's been a thing yeah, since the seven six. six. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I became because aware of it at the time of the triple seven. In the Airbus three hundred, I think too. That's uh-huh. right. The A three hundreds, because that uh, Barry was one of the first guys on the A three hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., mm-hmm. I you know they had them in other and what's airlines. What's the maximum first. ETOP certification right now? That's a good question, David. That's a really good question. I think uh, it is. Uh, it's at least one hundred eighty minutes. Well, yeah, I it can might answer be, that one right it now. It might be two forty. I'll give you a minute. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm searching my my vast memory about these things, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to let you all well, do Google. I, I was stunned when I went to 180 minutes several years ago. Yeah, I mean the the original rule was 30 minutes for twins from a distance from a landing site, and then they said, "Oh, we can't cross oceans that way," yeah. so they got to go to an hour, and this is in the jet age. Well, then as twins got better, that was with twins. Multi engines got. Three and four engines got a lot more latitude. Right. Uh, twins took over the market, and in order to make the twins maximum maximum economically, yeah, according they to Wikipedia, to farther away. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, ETOPS, E-T-O-P-S, is an aviation acronym for Extended Range Twin Operations, as uh, it says, redefined by the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration. Skipping ahead here, uh, rule allows twin-engine airliners to fly long-distance routes that were previously off-limits to twin-engine aircraft. There are different levels of ETOPS certification, each allowing aircraft to fly on routes that are a certain amount of single-engine flying time away from the nearest suitable airport for example if an aircraft is certified for 180 minutes it's permitted to fly any route not more than 180 minutes single engine flying time to the nearest suitable airport and it goes on and on and on yeah, um, now you can get etops times up to 370 minutes really wow holy moly the european, european certify the airbus a350 wxb for 370 uh, the FAA certified the Boeing 787 for 330. What's that? That's six hours. Uh, yeah, I don't even want to be in the airplane for six hours. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's on, on one yeah. engine. <laughs> I know. On one engine? On one engine? <laughs> on one engine. Anyways, all right. Amy, what was in Lisbon? What was in Lisbon? Well, honestly, Lisbon was a port of entry. Uh, although I did like the town, and it took a wonderful walking tour of the town, um, my husband and I, my illustrious husband, who you guys know as Barry, mm-hmm. the mechanic um, and builder, we rented a Fiat Panda. Now, you'll have to look up Fiat Panda because we don't have those over here. You rented but it's a pet? Like, yeah. <laughs> An Italian Chinese pet. Yeah, really? um, no, it's a- <laughs> What is that? A car or a motorcycle? Yes, or a- it is. It is a very, very, very little uh, boxy. Kind of looks like a Kia yeah, Solo. We have these over here. They're that. called Fiat Five Hundreds. Yeah, this is actually a little boxier and is it? just a smidge oh, bigger okay. than the Five Hundred, but not much because okay. I've boxier seen boxier than the Five Hundred. Well, that's yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot boxier like a, than the Five Hundred. Yeah. Oh, so, Amy, oh, where'd you guys go with this little yeah. boxy car? 
We went north, and then we went. Uh, so, by east the way, this was a personal trip. This wasn't like you being an aviation journalist, you know, international, no, no. right? I take vacations, unlike the rest of the world. <laughs> you do, since you've I, become the new improved Amy. You know, the new improved Amy. That's exactly right. Uh, and this was my retirement gift to myself. Honestly, so cool. we, did, we did 35 days in Portugal and Spain. We rented a boat just to try a wing of another uh, of another kind, you know, uh-huh. like of a different color. And uh, it was a little 28 foot um, sailboat. sailboat. Yes, Ooh. a sailboat. And we, we went on the Douro River, which is amazing part of the world. Beautiful wine country, steep, steep hills, terraced. Out the wazoo, you'd think you were in the middle of, you know, Nepal somewhere, these terraces, but it's all wine. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, signs like Taylor's and Sandeman's, <laughs> all cool. these names you know. Yeah. And this is where they grow the, the, the grapes for their port wines that uh, the Portugal is famous for. And oh, really, yeah. that was just... Port is really a fortified wine that the that the Brits invented to get the wine out of Portugal and back up to Britain and still have it potable, as as the case would be, so they could still drink it. Um, and it's become a type of wine. They have lots of different wines. I will I will have to admit that I drank a lot of wine on this vacation. Uh, um, Very little, no big, flying really. Big fan of the Madeira from over there. Yes, yes, the Madeira. Um, they have a Vino Tinto, which is a green, very young white wine that's very refreshing, very low alcohol content, and is like the perfect lunch wine. So that's all I have to say about that. Remember, I'm on a boat with no electricity um, that is basically, you know, got enough room for one bunk for the two of us and a cool box and a one burner butane out of the can yeah. stove. How was the internet connectivity? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right. How about, I was uh, having to get a cell, cell signal every now and again. Yeah. Um, that was just part of the trip, though. Uh, we I really went say, that's part to of the Spain. Fun. Yeah, and we were up in the mountains. It's so much more mountainous than I thought. Um, I was only disappointed by the fact that we never really got to find any flying happening and uh, was even concerned by how little flying I saw happening. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, it's a Europe thing, right? I mean, it's different. Well, and Portugal and Spain are still in the throes of a pretty good recession. Um, they, they, You can see that. I saw closed doors on flight schools that simply didn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing that I found out uh, upon a little research is that recently there have been some handling fee issues that AOPA Spain was complaining about and made pilots really not able to go on a VFR day trip for a $100 hamburger because it cost more than the whole trip just to get a bus transfer from where you parked on the ramp over to the FBO. And that was, that was something that the FBO had to offer you because of their TSA security rules there. Oh, yeah. So they were playing a lot of games. There were some politics involved. And during the time that I was there, there was a lot of this tussling going on. So I saw very, very little GA, sadly. Mm. Yeah, that's too bad. Sure. That's too that's bad. Sure. Speaking of GA, you been doing any GA flying? You in the RV or you in the Kit Fox been anywhere fun? I, 
I haven't been anywhere fun. The closest I've been is I've done a little photography flying for someone. And then, honestly, I have had to go get recurrent in my RV because I came back from Vermont at the end of Oshkosh. We went to Vermont and spent a couple weeks and Mm -hmm. then left from there. And I didn't get in my airplane again. And I'll be quite frank with you. I had the throttle pulled back and I had it slowed down to uh, about 182 speed so that I could keep my brain up with it. It, The flight went well. Mm -hmm. And I feel much more comfortable now in it than I did before, did approaches, uh, remembered how to reprogram from one approach to another when they switch runways on you, uh, holding patterns, you know, the whole the whole shebang, stalls, yeah. steep turns. It feels much better after you take the time to do that. Doesn't, um, doesn't for you getting recurrent really mean going flying with your husband? Well, it does, but that's because I'm kind of a masochist. He's also my friend. <laughs> okay, I'm not well, saying it's the same thing to do. I'm just saying that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> he was actually very well behaved now, on this are, flight. Are you his no- instructor too? Yes. Well, see, yes. that's just weird. <laughs> that's just there. No, and no, I'm it's... not nice about. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we we we're really professional in the cockpit. You I, would I think that we were flying. We were flying some fancy jet or something. We really work very hard at at just being the other human being in the other side of the airplane who you know is pilot in command right now or yeah, pilot yeah. at the controls. Um, we're we're really. We're we're almost a little self righteous about the whole thing. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I, I'm speechless here because I I just have I have vivid memories of the, one of the most distressing, disturbing, um, um, traumatic interpersonal relationships I ever had with a with a lady friend was years and years ago when I tried to teach a girlfriend how to drive a car and it was just <laughs> awful. it was awful oh gosh it was awful I mean we very nearly very nearly broke up in the parking lot right then and there. It was awful. And so I'm, I have huge respect. I, you, you mentioned how you taught your kids to fly and, or well, one of your kids anyways. I mean, and, and I'm not saying that was a good idea, honestly. And, and I, <laughs> no, huh? I, no. Well, I think one of the things that's different with Barry and I is we already knew how to fly yeah, you and we were both professional pilots when we met each other. Mm, yeah. And that has, that really changes the dynamic, Jack. Sure. So he wasn't, tra- he, he's not trying to teach me to fly. He's the check airman in the other seat, mm-hmm. making sure that I'm safe and, and I'm the same way with him. And that, that really makes a difference. I do think that it's tricky to take somebody that you're very close with and and try to teach them from 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 scratch how to handle a machine. And mm. some people are very good at it, and other people struggle just the way you said. Yeah. Um, very typical reaction. Was, I'm definitely in the My latter. children are going to never learn how to drive a stick shift, either because of spite or the trauma <laughs> I inflicted upon them. When I tried to do it myself. Yes. So I, I get that, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, all right. We better move along here. Well, this is like we're going to be here all night long. Um, Jeb, you called our attention. I, so you called our attention to this ATC Zero story. Um, I've seen yeah. references to it a number of times, and I have not had an opportunity to read it yet. This is apparently an account of kind of the details of what went on in this Chicago Center fire and, and craziness. Um, right. Tell right. me about the article. What's in there? What's, well, what's there, just say? a lot of, there's a lot of details. Uh, this is uh, on IOPA's website. Dave Hirschman wrote this. Uh, there's a lot of details here about um, 
how the um, controllers and, and facility management at uh, at uh, Chicago Center, which is actually in O'Hare, Illinois, I'm sorry, Aurora, Illinois, um, how they dealt with this uh, this situation where this uh, suicidal controller set a fire in one of their communications rooms in the facility and basically took out took out the center for all intents and purposes, but took out a lot of computer equipment and a lot of telecommunications equipment and, and basically isolated uh, Chicago Center from uh, the surrounding airspace. And this was on, uh, when the hell was this? Um, this was in September, I believe. Um, and uh, how, how they re- recovered from it, how they, um, you know, controllers fanned out to adjacent facilities and, and uh, those facilities expanded their radar coverage. And uh, they, they kind of had to make this up as they went. Oh, I'm sure. uh, there's really no precedent for yeah. this within, within uh, uh, at least FIA or traffic control. And I thought it was just a very interesting piece of a lot of details that I had not seen or heard of before. And uh, that's why I brought it to your attention. Yeah, I'm going to take, take some time and, and give it a read. Um, Amy, David, have you read this piece? Yeah. What do you think, yeah. David? It's nice to see something done by someone that knows the system that we're talking about and what right. it does. Yeah, well, I mean, when the USA Today piece comes out, we'll compare them side by side. Right. Yeah, there you, yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. I've got some fish I'll probably be ready to throw out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. Um, David, anything in learned in this that you hadn't, you weren't aware of? Anything notable? Oh, a, a, a number of things. Uh, I, for one thing, didn't recognize or didn't uh, know concretely that when all this when all this happened, everything went dark at once. That it wasn't, you know, gee, this failed. You know, the screens failed mm-hmm. and the communications failed, but everything just went dark and quiet. Really, at the same time, that must have been a moment. Oh. I would imagine that it was yeah. a very long moment. They they and, must have you know your first thought would be a power failure, but they must have pretty good backup power and. Uh, and when it didn't kick in right away. Well, they have redundant systems that have their own redundant systems. And this basically struck at the heart of how that communications traffic was routed to where it needed to go, both the visual and the audio. And the guy basically is like severing the spine on a human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can do it in a way that doesn't kill them. But it sure takes everything offline. Yeah, really. Well, they Amy? basically yeah. went. They basically went blind and deaf immediately, yeah. and and yet they went back to their manual procedures and they called those other other tracons. And it's amazing how quickly they had things back up and running. We think, oh my God, well it really took two weeks, but but no, it didn't. If you stop yeah. and think about it. That's right. No, there were a couple of hours there when arrivals and departures were really constrained and running behind, and it took them a couple of days to get back up to normal rhythm. But they were only a couple of days before the throughput at, at the major airports there, Midway and mm-hmm. O'Hare, uh, were pretty much back to normal. Yeah, the F- FAA did a great job handling the PR on this. Not that I always agree with FAA's PR, but they really got out in front of this and had at least daily updates, sometimes one in the morning and sometimes one in the afternoon, uh, to the general media, you know, and, and, and putting things in nice, simple, clear terms. 
uh, so that even USA Today can understand. <laughs> you beat yeah, me to it. I was going to do. Yeah, Amy, and, and, and the good perspective, proper perspective on the stuff. Yeah, right. Sorry. Amy. Yeah, go ahead, Amy. Yeah, I was going to say I, I agree with you, Jeb, because I was in Europe looking at a trip that was taking me back through Chicago. So I was watching right. this very carefully right. through the through the media channels that I had available to me. And at no time did I think that I was not going to make it. And though it was slow, it was slow two and a half weeks later. It did. Everything was moving. No flights canceled. And uh, we got home. We were late, but we got home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 And and in our defense, we were late in Lisbon. I'm not sure that was Chicago's fault. You're late getting there. You're going to be late getting back. Lateness is a virtue sometimes. Yeah. So I would say on days when Chicago Center and all of the ancillary facilities are running at 100 percent of their automation and staff, things can still run late because so far they have not yet found a way to control the weather. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well. Dave Hirschman is the uh, is the uh, reporter here, and it's on AOPA dot org. Uh, the headline is ATC zero inside the Chicago Center fire. Um, I'm going to give it a read. It sounds like yeah. it's a, a great That's piece. A good, nice little piece. Yeah. So I've always thought uh, for years, ever since I was a very young pilot, um, I've always thought that a great adventure would be to take a bunch of time and fly to the four corners of the continental United States. Um, to uh, fly, you know, Seattle, Northern Maine, Key West, uh, uh, you know, down to San Diego-ish, and just kind of take your time and and see America this way. And I, and and uh, um, I thought that would be a, a somewhat extreme, but but doable, interesting flight. But this guy had a different idea altogether. Um, another Jack, by the way, which uh, is is. Uh, I don't know whether I like that idea or not, but uh, um, who posted this? Jed, did you put this up? I, I did not put this up. Then David did. David. Yeah, I'll put this up. Jack's Adventure. Tell us about Jack's Adventure. Jack Dakins, uh, as it's described on the website on this, is a 60-year-old retired father of five girls with a quote-unquote hard for adventure. And starting in July of this year, he flew the perimeter of Canada solo in a 172 of Canada. I mean, and and so we're not just talking like you know, Toronto, you know, Calgary, Vancouver. We're talking like then go up the west coast and along the northern coast, if you you know, uh, of of Canada. That's a crazy flight. It's bigger. Yeah, it's bigger. It's bigger. Yes, that's right. Let you know that. And and. And I, you know, also when I was a young pilot, a, a, a pilot friend and I had this idea of uh, flying up the Pacific coast to uh, like Anchorage. And uh, we were kind of sobered by the fact that, that once you got north of Seattle, Vancouver area, it got pretty remote. Well, that's nothing compared to flying across the northern edge of Canada. Oh, my god! Yeah, gosh. I mean, flying from uh, the Puget Sound area to Anchorage. There's a defined route that you can follow with lots of settlements along the way. You basically follow the Alcan Highway. Holy moly, I'm looking at this map where he's got all these waypoints marked. There you go. Look at yeah. the map. Look yeah. at what this That's guy over did. 10,000 miles. He flew. Which way did he go? Did he go clockwise or counterclockwise? He must have gone. David? I, I, I thought he went. Uh, I, I thought he started at uh, Vancouver and went north. Okay, so let's assume he did that. He went up past and along the uh, the, the Canadian border of, of Alaska, and then way up there by the uh, by the uh, what's that called up there? The uh, 
<laughs> the Arctic the Circle. Beaufort Sea. <laughs> the North Pole. Yeah, the Beaufort. Well, you know, he actually probably circumnavigated the magnetic North Pole. Um, it, it's up in there someplace, and so he. But he was, yeah. he went along. He didn't get that far north. He didn't but, get yeah. And then he actually veered. So he was following along sort of the the northern northern edge of the Canadian mainland, if you will, because when you get way up there, it's a lot of of weird islands. But then at about halfway across the continent, he turned north and went way up north to uh, into these islands, and then came down. I don't know the names of all these areas. I'm kind of ignorant about Canadian geography, but uh, you got to check out this map. What an adventure. Oh, my gosh. Was he alone, too? Solo. Yeah. Did it solo? Those are all his own setup shots that he did with remote cameras and stuff that he carried along. Uh, It is a pretty amazing. Look at these pictures. uh, These are awesome. A pretty amazing goal in in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does it, do any of you remember maybe 20, 25, 30 years ago, there was this thing going on in GA of, quote, rolling the pole, unquote? Oh, yeah. No, what's that? Basically, you take an airplane up as far north to, in Canada as you can, top it off, and head north some more. Yeah. And you go to the the uh, the true North Pole. The true North Pole. The true North Pole. Okay. You roll, you do a barrel roll. <laughs> yeah, okay. And you turn around and go back. Uh what airport can you I mean that's that's yikes. That's way up there. Well, <sighs> some people were doing it. And these days, you need to bring your flotation gear because it's a lot of open oh, water yeah, now. It's a lot of open water now. You know, back in back um, in the day, it was all even in the summer. It was. I nice, don't remember but. what some of these you know, these airports on this chart here, for example, may have been part of this. I don't I don't recall. Yeah. Um, what was it called again? Rolling the pole. Rolling the pole. Man, oh huh. man. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's a lot of north. Tundra flying and tundra is not necessarily a nice place to land by itself either, you know. Yeah, I, I'm not so excited about ice, quite frankly. Yeah, no. Well, and, and ice in the Arctic when it's when when the Arctic is iced over has a yeah. peculiarly bad habit of being in motion constantly. Right, and and there's texture there that you can't oh, see until you're down on it. Right. Right. So, anyways, congratulations to uh, to Jack Deacons um, of uh, where is he normally from? Let's see here. It's uh, oh, David, did you tell us that and I missed it? Where is he? Where is he actually from? Where does he live? It's uh, you, you know, I don't know that of I ever Canada. That. Jack Deacons of Canada. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> congratulations, now, folks. A- something to think about the logistics of this trip. Some of the places where he went, he had to stage fuel have fuel dropped so that there would be gas when he got there so that he could make it to the next stop yeah he spent about six grand on fuel alone yeah sounds like he's from uh, the vancouver british columbia area so uh, congratulations jack deacons that's uh that's very yeah way to go a very cool very uh (laughs) canadian (laughs) uh before we take a break here, um, Jeb, a Messerschmitt. A Messerschmitt. Um, not not a, maybe a true Messerschmitt, 
in the sense that um, it was original down to the engine. But you, we talked about yeah. a guy we, several months ago, several episodes ago anyway, we talked about a guy who um, had been a stunt pilot or, or a flight coordinator, perhaps would be a better term for it, uh, for the movie The Battle of Britain. Yep. And turned out that part of his compensation for his services in support of that film were some of the airplanes in the film. And he took home to Texas, of all places, um, a handful of Spitfires and, it turns out, some ME-109s. Mm-hmm. Messerschmitt. Messerschmitt ME-109s. Both of these uh, types were uh, used by opposing forces, shall we say, in World War II uh, and played a big roles in the, um, in the Battle of Britain, hence their use in the movie. So uh, this guy's name is Connie Edwards. Uh, he's got to be a Brazilian years old by now. Uh, says he's a war veteran, stunt pilot, all-around badass, according, <laughs> according to this, this yeah. blog post, I yeah. guess it is, uh, which I would tend to perhaps not uh, disagree with. No, no. No, no, no. Um, but these particular um, uh, Messerschmitts had been re-engined with, with uh, Rolls-Royce Merlins. <laughs> so, <laughs> once again, we win the World War, World War II, right? Yeah, once, you know, big-time win all the way around. Yeah, right, okay. So what happened and then? Anyway, there's video of they're, they're, they're they being whomever um, – have uh, uh, rolled these things out, has started wrenching on them, and uh, there is video on the internet of uh, the um, engine start on one of these mm-hmm. uh, re-engined ME-109s, and I just shared that with y'all. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Uh, yeah. Is it is it their goal to make this thing airworthy so that they can... Oh, I hope so. Yeah, me too. Oh, it is airworthy. It, it probably already <laughs> is. Well, it, it needs an annual... I mean, Neither seriously, annual, yeah, there you go. Flew it in. Yeah, I, right. I Maybe a big annual. Yeah, right, right. There's a, there's a nice <laughs> oh, little the, mini documentary, a little seven-minute documentary uh, as part of the story. Uh, where uh, Maybe we should get some IAs on and we'll play. Hey, would you annual that? <laughs> hey, uh, there's lots of people around that can work on those engines because those are Rolls engines. They're not the German or Hispano yeah. engines. Yeah, so uh, very so. cool. Maybe we'll see a Messerschmitt at uh, at uh, Air Venture Sun and Fun one of these days. That would be. Uh, if not, they could sure they're, get they're my attention there. with some other old folk. Yeah, if you look for them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> if you look for them, there's a Messerschmitt here or there. Yeah. At, uh, at Oshkosh. Yeah, you got you got to be careful with that language, David, because present today is Jeb. And, uh, we don't want his 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 gent, genteel ears. Yes, yeah. you don't want to. You don't want to. <laughs> what? You never mind. Never mind. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be yeah. back in just a couple minutes. Never mind. I was going to say, you don't want to folk around with that. <laughs> and now, friends, here's today's word. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But I bet you knew that. Hi, this is Jack. 
We've said it before, and it bears repeating, that maybe the most pleasant surprise of doing this podcast all these years has been meeting our listeners at fly-ins and just wandering around at airports. You talking with us and sharing your aviation experiences has helped us broaden our knowledge and enjoyment of flying. Thank you. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that we also appreciate the financial support we get from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. So thanks for listening, and please make sure you track us down and say hi at the next fly-in. As an aside, yeah. I kind of took it upon myself to use some Google foo yeah. on the phrase rolling the pole mm. and yes. roll, the, roll the pole. Yeah. And I think I found kind of uh, patient zero here, which is <laughs> not coincidentally. Yeah. We're back, by the way. A, a backseat column from August of 1981. Uh, a, a oh, my God. A Gordon Baxter column. About it's rolling wonderful. the pole. It's actually on uh, uh, Google Books. Oh, okay. Cool. Is the That's whole right. It's all the flyings. Oh, yeah. All yeah. the flyings are there. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And well, cool. talked, the- talked about I – I remembered some of the details here. Talk about Pat Epps of Epps Aviation in Atlanta. Um, and, um, how they had, he and somebody of his, um, had, um, rolled the pole. Mm hmm. Where, how far did they get? They got to Resolute. I said, Atlanta via Thunder Bay, Churchill, Cambridge Bay, Resolute, Magnetic North Pole. Oh, Magnetic North Pole. That's uh. different. It's not in okay. return. Still, yeah. well, not nothing yeah. to sneeze Still, at. Still, not, not, yeah, not, not to, nothing to sneeze at. But, uh, but out, of, out of Resolute and, and Baffin Island and, yeah. and um, uh, all kinds of stuff that <clears throat> I don't, I'm too, right. I don't have, all I have is a pair of shorts and a t shirt, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's well, interesting. Was once part of an expedition so. that was, existed to try to fly two ultralights to the North Pole from, uh huh. From Baffin Island, mm-hmm. and, uh, we had the airplanes, we had the equipment, we had the people, we had the training, uh, but there were certain contingencies upon which the vendors insisted on payment in advance, <laughs> yeah. and it turned out that the guy that was organizing the whole thing yeah. didn't have the money that he said he had, uh. so... Uh, there were some of us that wound up taking some of the great polar equipment that we received as compensation. <laughs> it was helpful. Yeah. I, I still use some of that cold weather gear today. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, see, so it wasn't a total loss, right? Yeah. There yeah. you go. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. There you go. Anyways, Jeb sent us this uh this uh, Gordon Baxter article, so that's kind of cool. Is it, did it open all right? Yeah, it opened on my Yeah, yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Take some time and look at it later on. Very cool, very cool. Well, I've spent time with Pat Epps several times over the years. Mm-hmm. The guy's got no fear. So it's not exactly flying to northern Canada to the magnetic North Pole, Jeb, but you went on a little adventure recently and, uh, and visited the, as you've been saying, you were all summer, you visited the last of the uh, first batch of AOPA uh, uh, f- uh, local flying, regional I did. The, the, well, I did. Yeah. Um, um, flew up, I guess I got in around <clears throat> uh, 
10.30 or so that morning. Um, now, for those of you who may or may not have been Uncontrolled Airspace podcast listeners for any length of time, you may understand that my getting anywhere in an airplane at 10.30 is <laughs> above and beyond the call of duty. That's like 90 minutes early. That is impressive. Yes. That is yes. impressive. Well, it's more like three hours early because it was an hour and a half trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. um, it was a, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised um, basically throughout the afternoon, throughout the day. Um, there was a great, what I call a great turnout. I didn't know what to expect, and I've been to that airport before when, when the AOPA wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, had a, had a runway shut down, and we're parking them um, three and four deep on either side of the center line. Wow. Okay. Okay. And plus what was parked elsewhere and what was on static display and all that. A number I have seen, um, and I think it was um, uh, an AOPA number. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. Um, 500 some odd airplanes. Wow. Um, for that one day fly in. I think that's maybe a little high, but I will say that there was a buttload of airplanes there. Yeah. So what kind of things went on there that day? Tell us a little well, about the Well, there were several, several uh, seminars. A friend of mine actually was giving a couple of them on um, uh, owner-performed maintenance, for among other, term, among other um, um, concepts. Um, there, were, um, another pro- there was another program on um, taking, uh, let's say, shall we say, stale, non-current pilots and uh, getting them back into the left seat. Um, and that one apparently was fairly popular. Um, there was a uh, presentation by the uh, then-captain of the USS Cole, which was the destroyer that was attacked in a port in Yemen years ago. Yeah, I remember that story, uh, but how is that an aviation story? It's not, except that um, he went through a lot of detail and a lot of discussion on how um, he and his, his uh, crew had been trained to react to uh, what is essentially an attack, uh, a combat attack, um, talking about damage control, talking about prioritization, mm-hmm. talking about um, depending and, and delegating uh, uh, certain tasks to others as, as appropriate. And uh, the, the moral of all that, of course, is how to handle uh, um, unknown or unanticipated or, and or unwanted things in the cockpit. Yeah. Very interesting. And from yeah. that standpoint, it, you know, tied it all together really well. Yeah. They uh, attendees got a, basically a free lunch. Show up, get a free pulled pork lunch, barbecue, and and uh, all the accoutrements, and uh, a lot of airplanes on static display. Um, I mean, the usual suspects or anything special? Or there was there was um, not the usual suspects. I would guess. I mean, yeah, okay. There's Cessna, and here's Beach, and and of course they're kind of all the same company nowadays. Um, there were some one-offs, there was some vintage, there was, um, not a twin beach, but a Lockheed, um, I think Electra or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. There was a guy with a 400 Comanche, Dave, uh, and he was out of Martinsville, Virginia, Hmm. uh, of all places. Uh, very nice airplane. Um, oh, and, and, and they and, always are. Yeah, and a lot, and a lot more like that. So there was always something to see and do. 
I was up there, I don't know, three, four hours, um, ran into a bunch of old friends. Uh, oh, let me put it another way. A couple of old friends, a couple of relatively new friends, uh, one of whom is, is, of course, friend of the podcast, uh, Jamie Beckett. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent some time with him. Um, it was a good after. It was a good way to kill the day. It was. Yeah. It was. It was a good, for me anyway. I, you know, I long ago gave up expectations, so I didn't have any. But I wasn't disappointed in any stretch of the imagination. All the reports I've heard is that these things were just a, a, a raving success. Yeah. Um, Amy, I should ask you. You're in that area. Did you get up to that that fly-in? No, I did not. Yeah, okay. I knew about it, but uh, it's. I'm a little further south, so yeah, it's no, a little, I know. You're, little you're, more of a stretch for add me. Add almost an hour, yeah. So, uh, um, the, these things have apparently been a bit just a, a roaring success all over America. I, I saw a report um, the other day from, I believe it was from AOPA, saying that they're not only planning um, next year's batch, but there's apparently fairly spirited competition among airports to be hosts well, of this. Well, that's what someone was telling me. Um, well. When I was at um, at St. Simon's, was that um, actually maybe it was an AOPA person uh, that they had um, gotten or sent out or requested RFPs um, to do this from various communities around the country and had like forty responses. Uh-huh. Yeah, and next year they will likely try to replicate their success with these fly-ins, but at different locations, all in the same regions, but at different locations within those regions. So that's all good, and, and you know, more power to them. Um, it, it, as someone said, it's a, it's a great $500 hamburger. Yeah. No, I, I, I was bummed. I, I was definitely going to go to the one up here in, in Massachusetts, down at Plymouth, and then I had to work that weekend, so uh, I, I was unable, but... Uh, it's, they uh, they need to maybe work on, uh, um, how should I put, um, uh, arrival procedures. For aircraft. That's what I heard, too, oh, was yeah? that the, the arrival information wasn't disseminated in a manner that got people's attention. Is that a good way to put it, I guess Jeff? I'm well, sure. Is it, is it, it possible that they were just taken by surprise by the number of aircraft arriving? I don't know. No. Okay. No. Because, in fact, what they ended up doing, at least when I was coming in, it was a simplified things as opposed to making them more complicated. Um, there's two things. There's two questions here, though. One is, were, was the information adequately disseminated? Second question is, did, did the uh, in practice, was the information followed and adhered to? First of all, there was a, an official notum uh, from the FAA that if you're pre-flighting for you know, uh, an airport you would want to look at that noted the existence of a special set of procedures uh, and a URL within the NOTAM to go get that special set of procedures. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, go ahead. You would think that would be enough. You would think that would be enough. Um, the the special procedures file was something like 40-some-odd pages, Ooh. Uh, which was a PDF that... Uh-huh laid out and had chart excerpts in full color and and fly this way and it's the, it's x number of miles and you want to be at y altitude and basically take all the best parts out of uh out of an oshkosh notum okay so what you're saying is that it was well done just people it was, didn't look it was at it. well done it was detailed etc cetera, etc cetera. um in the event um and i'm motoring on through i'm talking to um 
to Jack Center, and I'm motoring off in the direction of one of these feeder fixes, and and at one point, just kind of mashed the mic button. He knew where I was going. He knew why I was going there. I said, by the way, we're just going to motor up here to such and such a fix and, and follow this uh, this published arrival. He said, ah, don't worry about it. No one else is. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. The controller said that. The controller said that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So really? I, oh, yeah. So I went... Um, Basically, uh, uh, jiggled some headings here and there and uh, kind of aimed to come in <clears throat> uh, south of Jekyll Island, which is about, I don't know, four or five miles south of uh, the Target Airport here, St. Simons Island. And uh, that worked out fine. I There was a baron uh, that was in front of me. I started just following him, which is kind of the idea here is find somebody to follow and and uh, whatnot. Well, he started... And by this time, I picked up the ATIS, and the ATIS was saying, eh, don't worry too much about all the published stuff. What we want you to do, we're running a, a north operation here, landing runway four. We want you to go out to the northwest of the field, join a downwind, a left downwind, and plan on about a five-mile final. And that's pretty much what uh, everybody did. Following this Baron, he started motoring out, you know, about 10 miles out to the northwest. I said, eh, I'm not going to do that. So I cut inside of him and um, tucked in behind, I don't know, two or three other airplanes. The Baron finally caught up, but he ended up having to go around. Hmm. Uh, um, so anyway, but the, the other thing that uh, they ab- kind of abandoned the procedures, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing that was going on here is they had Airbus. They had, rather than a um, control tower. Right. Rather than just a party line intercom, I mean, Unicom, with everybody uh, going off on everybody else, they had what they called an air boss. And this was a uh, apparently husband-wife team um, who have done this before at similar uh, events. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was, you know, talking to people and talking them through and kind of, you know, uh, uh, yellow high wing, you know, rock your wings kind of thing. Uh, which was great, except she was clearing people to land. Yeah. Which I was like, huh, what? You yeah, can't no. do that. You can't do that. You can prove them to land. You can use some other verb, but you cannot clear them to land. Yeah. And that, that was a problem. I, I, they need to work on that because people are going to get the wrong idea. Uh, unless these people were somehow blessed by the FAA. I don't know. This, this, I mean... <sighs> Yeah, but I get your point. It, it, she's she's landing three people on the same runway at the same time. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I, I hear you. I hear there you. There was no in the notum. There was none of that legalese about how reduced minimums are in in a, in, in effect. But so that you would see at Oshkosh or something. Fun. When all was said and done, they they did the day without incident, right? To, to the best of my knowledge, yeah. that I mean, it worked well. Yeah. Uh, all things considered, and. Uh, um, as I was leaving, there was a um, bizjet uh, came smoking in from the west, and it fit it, it fit in just fine mm-hmm. uh, yeah. without any issues. But by then, all the arrivals had kind of evaporated, and there was all departures. Yeah, but the event you know, itself was—I'm sorry, David, go ahead. I was looking at the aerial photograph that's on one of the sites here, and thinking reminds me of a good Saturday at Ponca City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. We, yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Well, that's cool. I'm looking for maybe next year I'll get to one of these things. I I would love to. I've heard you great should. things about them, and uh, you know we'll see what we can do. But uh, very cool. And Congratulations. Maybe a whole new set of airports next year. Well, apparently, yeah. Exactly. Congratulations to uh, AOPA for a very successful new program. Yeah. It, was, it was it was very enjoyable and, and highly recommended for next year. Yeah, sounds good. And congratulations to Mark Baker who kind yeah. of decided that this was going to be the concept that replaced what had gone on before. Right. So Mark yeah. Baker, the current head of uh, AOPA. Right. Yeah, I, I like him. He came he came to Fort Myers, and I did get to go to that town hall meeting mm-hmm. at least. And, really? What uh, you, so you like what, what, what? Tell us a little bit. Yeah, about he's he's very down home. He's 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 a pilot's kind of kind of guy, and uh, it, it, he had a lot to say, and he was trying to wedge it into one hour. Um, and God bless him, he did. I think sometimes there were people who were still on the on the last paragraph, but um, you know, because he <laughs> he talks pretty quickly. But he was he was excited, and mm-hmm. that pleased me. Yeah. It was nice to see somebody excited, uh, and to watch the crowd feel like they related to him. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we'll uh, maybe they'll announce the dates sometime soon. I don't know. I forget when they announce these, but uh, but. Uh, Congratulations again to AOPA for a great program. What's next here? There was one. What was it I wanted to talk about here? Uh, where I'm a the... long way from the plantation parties of old. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Jeb, you, you, you pointed us to a story that I might not make the cut, except so drones posting hazard. Let's see if I can uh, find this. Story. Posing. Posing. Posing, excuse me, posing. I, I had this, t- I had this this page open, and then it started to make uncommanded audio, so I had to close it. So now I'm reopening. This is from a web- website called TechTimes.com. Appears to be a, a British or United Kingdom, UK uh, uh, website uh, news news operation uh, story uh, headlined: Drones posing hazard to passenger planes. Colon. Here's how. Um, and. Um, you know, it's an interesting story. The thing that I got from this story, because in some ways it's just yet another one of those stories, um, this alludes to, more than alludes to, this specifically describes two incidents where not only were there near encounters between a drone and a commercial airliner, but this story implies that they were intentional and intended to be collisions. Do you, you know what I'm talking about here? I, I get that, yeah. yeah. I, that's, that's a big deal. I, I, I mean, the, the fact that they're flying, you know, on, you know, that they're playing with their drone on final and messing around with the airplanes that are landing is bad enough, all right? But, uh, well, it's, it's bad enough that they're flying the drones in airspace that they shouldn't be. In the U.S., that's five miles from an airport, however that's defined. Um, And um, this is clearly um, above and beyond that, shall we say. Yeah. One graph in the story. um, The ATR-72, that's the aircraft in question here, the ATR-72's co-pilot told investigators that he thought the drone, which was actually a red and black quadcopter, was flown deliberately close to the passenger plane. The Air Prox Board's examination, and that sounds like maybe some sort of NTSB-ish kind of organization, uh-huh. the Air Prox Board's examination of the drone's flight path confirms this, suggesting the drone was flown to collide with the plane on purpose. And that's well, just like... Uh, that, that tells me that someone's got radar of this. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Well, because there's no other. I mean, you're not going to put a transponder on that drone. So how did they know 
the flight path. Uh, unless they just got a verbal description. I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. But, and then but there's is another, it big enough? Is it big enough? To be to, seen on radar. That's you know, the that's a, that's a very good question. And part of that answer is, uh, who knows at this stage? You know, one of the things about stealth technology is they try to hide the, uh, um, the, the turbine blades on the engine. And if there's anything a quadcopter is, it's a bunch of tur- it's a bunch of blades uh, flying around. So, who knows what its radar signature? Yeah, is. I know, but they're plastic blades. I don't know. But uh, yeah, um, the story and another graph, actually, the very next one, I believe, uh, says the report follows a similar incident in Tallahassee, Florida, where a small camouflaged remote-controlled aircraft nearly crashed into a 50-seater CRJ 200, 2,000 feet up, um, flying from Charlotte, North Carolina, to Tallahassee. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we should just take this with a grain of salt, and that it's just sort of a, you know, a, a semi-professional blog, and not really, you know. Well, this 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 originates with a, a, a UK technical publication that picked up on something that the British Airline Pilots Association put out. Yeah. Right. Uh, this this is not a blog. This looks to be a. Uh, I mean, it's, it's yeah, definitely this a is trade. Not a blog. This yeah, is it's a definitely trade. A tr- it's a trade publication. Um, um, I don't know, kind of like Wired, maybe. I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to figure if I can find some. Yeah, information. they basically state a position in the headline, and then proceed to yeah. tell you all the information that they've got that supports the position that they stated in the headline. Uh, now, not that Jack, Jim, Amy, or Dave hear about every bloody thing that happens in the U.S. airspace, but a threat to a U.S. regional airliner between, you know, instigated by a drone near Tallahassee, I'm having a hard time understanding how that didn't make national news. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. exactly. Sorry, well, caught me in the middle of a sip of my beer. Um, that's exactly my point. Uh, that's so. Maybe it's not real. Maybe it's just sort of a misunderstanding of the writer, or the reporter. I don't know. Do, Amy, I heard gonna... about it. I heard about it too. So I think it did make some news outlets. Okay. But the okay. way I heard it was, it's only a matter of time before we end up with a collision. That this is happening more often than we hear about. Now that I'm with you on that because yeah. I have detected a more speculative, anticipatory tone. You know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, that's kind of been my position, the whole idea of letting drones into the airspace without them demonstrating their own onboard aut- autonomous sea-and-avoid capability. But... Uh, you know, something it's, that's remotely piloted. Boy, there's all kinds of problems with that. Yeah. But, Amy, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the NOTAMs for stadiums and things just recently changed. Did you notice that, Jeb? And yes. they include drones. And they include they RC. Drones. Or, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's really the only change. Yeah. That's so, exactly right. But if you can sign a contract with the stadium owner or the team owner for the drone to tow a banner or advertising something that they want, they may be able to find a window in there for that to work for you. Yeah, really. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, we're a little bit more than an hour into this podcast, and now we're going to start part two. <laughs> We've got shout-outs. We've got a lot of shout-outs here. Let's see if we can get through with these in less than an hour. Um, 
Uh, Jeb, Chuck Yeager? Um, yeah, let me find that. I was looking for something else. Here. Um, if you got one you'd rather do first, we can back up here. The um, Yeah, I came across a link. Um, um, actually, it's on Chuck Yeager's uh, personal slash uh, commercial website. Um, but is a copy of uh, a report he uh, filed um, during World War II when he was a fighter pilot flying uh, uh, P-51s over Europe. Um, originally classified or at least confidential, uh, details um, uh, on, uh, on 6 November 1944, how he shot down an ME-262, the, the uh, the German um, twin-engine jet, uh, first operational jet fighter. Right, and this was significant um, because it's seventy years ago, and he was not flying a jet, right? And he was not flying a jet; he was flying a P fifty-one. Yeah, yeah, but he he managed to catch one that was kind of low and slow and uh, near an airport, trying to land or take off or something like that, and and was credited with a kill. Yeah, seventy years ago. Yeah. Just, amazing. Just, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to make a joke about me being old, and I kept my mind kept going back to Dave. And I'm going, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, that's but cool. you did it anyway. I know I did. I? <laughs> I did. You, know, you know what's really cool about it is that you're actually looking at the typed piece yeah. that yeah. he typed. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what's so cool about that. Oh, really? It's yeah. his personal uh, action report. That's, that's his action report. Yeah. Whether he, whether he typed it is another matter, but... Um, um, he, it's his report, it's yeah. his personal report to uh, after action thing. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Shout outs. Who's got another one here? David, Amy, you got something? Maybe there aren't that many shout outs. I thought there were. Can I can I do the landed on a spacecraft on yeah. a comet? Yeah. Because yeah. not only did we land a spacecraft, but we bounced the landing. Yeah, I know, huh? <laughs> we <laughs> still managed to get it to come back down. And it was quite a bounce. It was like two bounces. The first bounce lasted like, what, 10 minutes or something like that. No, no, no it hours. was more like two hours. Two hours. Yeah, yeah, sorry, first can you imagine that? Hours. Can you imagine bouncing and waiting two hours to come back for your second try? That's a long run. I'm embarrassed to admit that I've actually had landings like that. So uh, <laughs> yeah, felt like two hours anyway. Yeah, right? I know, huh? I but, get that. Uh, a very, very cool accomplishment from the uh, European space space. I forget what they call themselves, the space agency. Um, European space agency. And think about the hitting of rock a couple of miles by three miles at 310 million miles. Wait, wait, Going a over. spinning rock, a spinning rock. A spinning rock, yeah. yes. Yeah. And the, did you see, there's a, there's a great uh, uh, video floating around the Internet that shows uh, a top-down view of the orbit of this uh-huh. thing getting there. I mean, it's just amazing yeah. because, it, it, you know, they used, uh, what's the term for it, but they, they basically used a slingshot effect of a couple of different planets. So this thing took off from the Earth. It's and called the, slingshot effect. Yeah, I think it's actually called that, yeah. And... Uh, and it went out and like sl- did a slingshot around Mars, and then came back to, and it revisited the Earth like three times in the process mm-hmm. of getting out to this comet. Well, um, you know, it's it's one thing, and and the feat is to me is just incredible on so many different levels. But you know, it's one thing to say, oh, look, this this rock, this comet is what thirty million miles away or something. Yeah. Like three hundred million. Miles. Three hundred million. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but guys, this little sucker's humming through the through the atmosphere through, through space, also at like thirty four kilometers a second or some other oh, uh, yeah. godly it's, number. So this is not exactly like all right. Let me see if we if we just lead this thing enough, 
we can shoot at it and we'll hit it when when we when our projectile gets there. But no, Ew, we yeah. we want to catch up with it, circle it, orbit it, not with not one, but with two spacecraft. Yeah. And then land on it. I think that's all really pretty cool. It's very, very yeah. cool. It's and, a and lot you, of math. Yeah. You know, a little bit. Yeah. And, now, and sad- to give you some perspective on the distance, let's remember that radio waves travel at approximately the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Radio signals from the lander take 28 minutes mm-hmm. yeah. to to get here. Talk about an autonomous drone, huh? You know, I mean, yeah, like, you think the FAA's got a, something? To, <laughs> I don't think there's <laughs> much other traffic out there. <laughs> there's a joke in here. This is like a, a, a TFR on the comet. I don't well, know. the really sad thing is that it's not where they thought it was going to be, yeah. and it, it's having trouble keeping power because it's not getting enough uh, And light, I think actually so. now it has actually shut down, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's my understanding. Yeah, it apparently it's the bounce, shade. Some I don't know whether it was the bounce or it was something went wrong, but the effect of it all was that the uh, solar panels were not pointing in the right direction, or they might even well, have been in the shadow of some sort of structure. And It uh, was in the shadow of what they described as a cliff, Yeah, and they even moved it a little bit. They 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 got their big boys trousers on and lifted it off and let it rotate uh, uh, slightly to get it in a better position for the solar solar panels, but it was only getting about ninety minutes of daylight a day. Right. When they were counting on about six hours a day. Right. So last I had heard, it's actually now gone into deep hibernation mode, and uh, it may well be gone for, for, for good. There's a slight possibility that that in, I don't know, a few weeks or months or something like that, um, as the orbit gets closer to the sun. Well, think about it. Yeah, there's 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 a built-in sci-fi movie plot here. Yeah. You oh. know, it, it, in, in 100 years, when this thing gets into a position where those solar panels recharge the batteries, <laughs> this thing comes back to life and nobody on earth knows what it is so they go into freak out mode and you can pick it up from there yeah this nah, is an, an episode cool. of episode yeah, of star trek to, right here right? used to say that some uh, um race some some person some thing from not earth has already done that and kind of just swatted this thing aside there that's, you why, go. It's, that's why it's down that's why it's living in a van down by the river, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the, well, this would the be a good second news cousin is, to V'ger twice there removed. There you go. Yeah, right. The good, the good news is before it shut down, they were able to download a lot of information, they, do, they say. Yeah. yeah. They Including do. a Britney Spears video <laughs> that, that totally sends the Earth's population into apoplexy. Well, here's here's the real question. Well, not 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 the real question, but a question. Okay, you know, back when we sent Voyager, um, off, you know, out on its journey, we put um, markers, if you will. We put uh, uh, in in I think one case a uh, gold out made of gold, a record album, a record disc. Yeah. That if you you know that was the technology we had at the time, um, if you played it on a stylus, uh, a record player, or something like that, it told a story of where this device came from. And I wonder if such a device or such a uh, a marker is on this little machine that, that oh, could be found could be found by some artificial intelligence or some other intelligence, shall we say, way 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 down the road. Because you know that I, disc I that you're talking about. 
Yeah. It's got graphics on how to yeah. pl- how to play it. Uh-huh. And, and it also has a membership application to the Columbia House Record. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what else here? We had a couple more shout-outs here. Let's uh, lost the list here. Um, David, uh, uh, the Wright Brothers Altitude Record, uh, that's kind of a, a, a notable hist- moment in history. Yeah, we're doing this on uh, November 17. And uh, on November 13, 1908, a young man by the name of Wilbur Wright set a, a world record documented by the FAI of having reached the enormous oxygen-deprived, eyeball-bleeding altitude of 82 feet. Whoa. It really was pretty impressive. At Ovures, France, 82 feet. How did they Certified know? as a world record in 1908. How Just they think know? how far we've come. I know. D- Jeff, how do we know what? How do they know 82 feet? Oh, he had a big tape measure. <laughs> I mean, did, was the building he missed 81 feet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. You trying to tell me they hadn't had balloons and stuff that had gone higher? Oh, than yeah. I, I think, no, I'm sure they did. He was powered flight, though. Okay. But the, yeah. it's the only powered flight. Every flight was a record. Well, yeah. Think about the juxtaposition here. Yeah. 1908. November 13, Wilbur sets a record altitude of 82 feet. Yeah. And 106 years later, we're putting a little spacecraft about the size of a washing machine on a comet yeah. 300 million miles away. Yeah. Look, at that, look at that same date, okay, of, of um, November, uh, what was it, 16 or something like that, of, of um, uh, 1908. Ten years later was Armistice Day, ending World War One, And yeah. look at all the technological revolution or evolution in airplanes that we saw in that intervening 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, we got good at making them killing machines. Oh, yeah. Uh, we figured that out. Yeah. yeah. Quicker than any other part of aviation. Yeah. And then we started the airlines, and it was all downhill from there. And it's been all downhill. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they That's actually why we started the airline business before that, but... It didn't okay. really catch All on right. for a while. Anyways, Imagine that. I think that's it. I think it was the fork time. Any other shout-outs? Anybody got anything? Oh, no? What? No, no. Never mind. Never mind. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, guys. It's always fun to talk with you. Amy, it's really a thrill to have you join us, uh, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again real soon now. Uh, Amy Lobota, uh, a uh, flight instructor, airplane builder, and freelance aviation writer. Have you been working on anything fun, Amy? Anything that's coming out soon that people could uh, look up? Yeah, actually, I'll have something in AOPA Pilot come the uh, beginning of the year, which is pretty exciting. And I've got some stuff coming up in uh, Aviation Safety Magazine. But I have to correct you. I have to correct you because, Uh as you well know, I I am the assistant to the builder. I would never, ever say that I was the builder. I I help. Just remember that. I'm good at it. I'm good at it. But but, But you're the assistant airplane builder. I okay. am. I, I buck rivets. I'm a really good bucker. I was just going to ask, were you the bucking bar babe? <laughs> you better believe oh, it. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Amy, where can people find you on the internet if they're uh, so inclined? From the, from the kindness of my friends, I have amylaboda.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, also uh, through UCAP 
and uh, in miscellaneous places um, on Belvoir's Are you on the, uh, on the Belvoir Twitter? communication yes. sites. I, yeah. I do have a Twitter handle. What's yes, the, that's yeah. true. Thank you very much. I'm trying much. to remember. It's, it, it's just plain Amy Lobota, right? I think it is. I think so. Yeah, okay. I think I made it easy for people. There you yes, go. Yes, that's true. Well, that's great. Thank you for joining us, Amy. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Jeb Burnside, thank you, is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Uh, Aviation Safety Magazine. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the December issue went to bed a little over a week ago. Yeah. Um, Home repair and personal IT, right? You know, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. right. Okay. Exactly. Um, um, what's fun in, in Aviation Safety Magazine this month? Um, got a nice little article, uh, one of my contributors by the name of Mike Hart, uh, basically discussing the zen of aviation and this, the, the, how to, uh, uh, think of various challenges, uh, um, in a zen-like fashion, you know, if you, if you want to get somewhere, um, then, you know, if you want to be somewhere tomorrow, then you have to have left yesterday. Right. Okay. You know, that, that kind of no, thing. No, that sounds interesting. I um, checked that so one out. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty good. Um, was Mike Hart, am I, is he the guy I'm thinking of? Wasn't he, uh, didn't you discover him uh, through UCAP? Was it, I he, did. He, I did. He's a yeah. UCAP listener. He's, he's a very faithful uh, UCAP listener and uh, he's done some podcasting on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been uh, writing for you a fair amount over the He's over been the writing for me a fair amount over the last two or three years. Yeah. yeah just as, know. just as Amy and, uh, and Dave have for that I matter. Know, also. Huh? Yeah. Got yourself so, a little, uh, little, little repertory company. There and, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you know um, you know there's all kinds of names you could attach to that. Okay. So, Anything I'm gonna, else? I'm not going to give these two any ideas. Uh, yeah, no, let's just keep barging um, on. But on here. Uh, uh, um, anything uh, else? Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, uh, what is it? Jeb Burns, J E Burnside uh, dot com. Uh, what's left of that? Um, Aviation Safety Magazine uh, dot com, and sometimes on the Twitter and and much less so on the Facebook. Yeah. And Dave Higdon, always fun talking with you, David. Dave is a uh, aviation photographer and aviation journalist, and the U.S. editors for for London's Av Buyer magazine, formerly known as World Aircraft Sales. What have you been working on, David? Uh, got a little thing uh, in the current Av Buyer about uh, selecting an aircraft management company to take care of the airplane for you. Uh, maybe make a little money on it when you're not using it. And we'll have something in a uh, new publication called Business Chet Advisor. I'm sorry, Business Aviation Advisor China. Really? Uh, That's cool. And and introducing uh, the folks there to the uh, relative safety records of business aviation compared to airline aviation. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Where can people find you on the Internet, David? Uh, well, there's avbuyer.com, and you click on the magazine and look for my stuff in there. Uh, aviation safety when I have something, which has got something in the works right now, but nothing recent. Uh, from uh, a- uh, avionics news at aea.net, uh, or just go do a wild card search and Google my name. And remember, I'm not the golf writer or the theoretical physicist. Okay. <laughs> 
And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, I have been, uh, I'm actually, I, I continue, as I mentioned in the last couple episodes, working on uh, some uh, iPhone software development, which is kind of fun, and uh, starting to actually work on my first sl- vaguely aviation-related app that... Uh, May or may not see the light of day before Sebring. Time will tell, but uh, but uh, some fun stuff there. Um, if uh, anyone is interested in learning more about the things that I'm working on, you can uh, join my email list by going to uh, aroundthefield.net, and there's a, a link there so that you can join my my uh, email list and keep you informed about things that I'm working on. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at uh, twittercom Hodgson and finally learn way more than you really want to know about me at jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earle, Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Uh, and don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the UCAP uh, Uncontrolled Airspace forums. Also see who's doing what in the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Live long by flying because... You just have to remember one thing. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Go home. Leave us now. This episode of Uncontrolled Airspace is made possible by the support of our generous listeners. For over seven years, we've been thrilled to enjoy the financial support and useful feedback of our awesome listeners. For information on how you can join the conversation in our forums, put something in the UCAP tip jar, or even become an underwriter of a UCAP episode, visit the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com.